Good morning. Yeah, if you're visiting with us for the first time, my name is Philip, and uh, I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad that you're with us. Um, today, we are finishing up a series that we've been doing called What Is Your Job Now? It's um, a series that went through the book of Job, and um, so today is, is the end of that. I will tell you that this, this message, and this has happened before, is more like a blog, three blogs, than it is a total message that has one point that goes all the way through. So there's three different sections. It's like three different topics, and, and that's what we're going to cover as we wrap this up. Um, last week, you noticed I, I got a bag, and it was filled with cards, uh, cards from the youth and cards from, from the teenagers, and uh, they, were, they were cool. They were pretty cool cards, and um, there was this one um, little girl that um, thanked me for preaching to her mom and dad. Obviously, they needed it, and because uh, she didn't thank me for doing anything for her, just for her mom and dad, that, that I would teach her mom and dad. And then on the very next page, she, she put this picture in her card. Christians have lived through a lot. So has the kids' church building. It has survived a tornado. Isn't that awesome? A little tornado there. Great. Survived a tornado. Um, I would have to say at the end of Job, Job has survived a tornado in his life, uh, where his entire life has been broken apart, and he has survived it. And now in the chapter we're going to be in this morning, he is on the other side. So he has gone through all these trials, and he's came forth, and he, forth, that's King James, he's came forward, he, he made it through, um, it very, very well. So, um, I, uh, I like this show. You might not like it. I don't really care. But um, I like this show named Big Shots, and it, and it has Steve Harvey, and he has these little kids and stuff like that, and it's just, it's just a good show. It makes you feel good while you're watching it, and you like to see the kids, and they're just so cute. So, I want to show you this clip from Big Shots uh, as we get into the first um, topic. about to drum with Sheila E. Let's do it. Wow. Folks, make some noise for Milana and Sheila E. One, two, three, four. 
Pretty cool, huh? Have you ever been in a situation where you met somebody you've always wanted to meet and you just were overcome with like excitement and in their presence, it was just absolutely amazing to have them right beside of you. It could have been somebody that you've listened to. It could have been an author that you have read for a long period of time. It could have been a lot of things, maybe a political person that you'd like to meet. And when you actually met them, you were just overcome because you, you'd never thought that you would ever meet them. And then all of a sudden you had that opportunity. And that girl absolutely enjoyed that, and she will be talking about that moment for the rest of her life, how great it was to be on that show, how great it was to meet the one that she looks up to when it comes to drumming, and how great it was for her to actually play a little bit with the one that she looks up to so much. With that in mind, what I want you to do is I want you to turn your Bibles to Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Now, what has happened to lead up to this is in the last four chapters, all the way up to 42, Job has finally had a conversation with his creator. It was the very first time that he actually was able to talk to him and God talked back to him. It is something that he had been wanting for a very long period of time, and it was an amazing thing. And I would say that it was a better experience than even what you just saw on that video. And so he has just finished being with the awesomeness and the amazing uh, God that he serves, and this is what he says in Job chapter 42, verse 2. He says this to the Lord. He says this, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, after his experience with God and God talking to him, he is telling God, look, I, I knew this before that you could do anything, but now I even know it at a deeper level that you can even do much more than I ever fathomed. I always knew that you were an awesome God and you were powerful, but now I have a deeper sense of who you are because I have experienced you. And then he says, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, can be stopped. So now that he's had this experience with God and he's, he's talked to him face-to-face, so to speak, in a figurative way, talked to him back and forth, he is now saying, I don't know of anything in the entire universe that could stop what you want to do. I don't know of anything in the universe that can stop your plan from happening. I don't know of anything that can stop you, God. Your purposes cannot be stopped. And then he says this. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. What is he saying? He's saying, man, I've said a lot of stuff about God, but now that I've experienced him this close, all the stuff that I've said about him doesn't even come close to who he is. I thought I knew who God was until I met him. I thought I knew who God was until I experienced him and had a conversation with him. And I have left this meeting absolutely amazed, absolutely amazed. And then he says in verse four, hear that and I will speak and I will question you and you make it known to me. 
I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. In other words, I knew you by the facts that people had told me, and I had faith in those facts of of what people had told me, and I had made sacrifices, and I, I knew what to do. But now that I have actually experienced you, see you, I actually understand who you are and the relationship that I now have with you. And in verse six, it says, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So let me sum this up in like just four points, okay? Four points. Here's the first one. When you experience God, you learn. The cool thing about being saved at this point in time in God's history is that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ lives inside of you. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, Christ lives inside of me. I no longer live. Christ lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And at any moment during the day, you can have an experience with God. God can talk to you. God can speak to you from his word. We talked about that last week. You can have an active kind of involvement back and forth with God during your day. You can sense his presence sometimes through a feeling and you can hear his voice sometimes when he speaks to your heart and tells you that you need to be doing this and not this. You can feel him when he convicts your heart and he weighs it heavy on your soul. You can actually experience God. Every time you experience God, you learn. We learn. Job experienced God and he learned something about God. Now he can't put it into words. It's, it's far too wonderful. I sometimes wonder, and I don't have an answer for this. I have not experienced heaven. I I have not seen Jesus in heaven. I haven't been there. I haven't been in the hospital, died, and came back. I haven't done any of that. I wonder sometimes if some of our worship in heaven might just be mere silence because we don't know what to say. And it's a bow down in reverence to him, an awe-inspiring reverence to him. We just don't have the words. And I think sometimes, I know when I've experienced God in my life, no words can describe that experience. I can't put it to words. I can't put it into a song, but I know that it happened, and he talks to me. So we learn when we experience God. Here's something else Job is telling us. When we experience God, we are encouraged. Job is encouraged at this point in his life. He knows that God loves him. He knows that God loves him enough to speak to him and talk to him and interact with him, and he's very encouraged. He also says this, when you experience God, we repent. Look at verse six. It says, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We sometimes have the misconception that if we were to experience God, there would be just joy and happiness. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you experience God in your current state, you will walk away from that experience repenting of something. The holiness and magnificence of Almighty God is just absolutely incredible. And when you hear him from his word, you walk away from that experience repenting for something. Sometimes, for me, it's exactly what the text says. The text says something, and I know I've been doing it, and I repent of that. Some of it is, 
oh my goodness, Lord, and this happened as recent as this morning. I am sorry for the way I lived my life as a teenager. I'm sorry how I lived my life in my 20s and in my 30s. And I don't completely understand why you love me this much. You have an experience with God. You're so awe-inspired by him that you leave wondering at his amazing love and grace that he shows to each one of us. Because honestly, the fair thing to do to us is to throw us all into hell. That's the fair thing to do. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins because he was unfair. And he provided a way for you to get to heaven because in that instance, he was providing a way for you to go through his son to get to heaven. And it was unfair for Jesus to die for your sins and for my sins. But he did it because he loved us and he's gracious toward us and merciful to us. I am thankful for Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross because he should not have taken my shame. He should not have. And we walk away from it, experience with God, repenting. This is different than what sometimes you see in the religious world. Sometimes in the religious world, you have people jumping up and down and you have people rolling down an aisle and you have people doing a lot of stuff like that. I'm not saying that we can't be excited, but what I am saying is when you are really experiencing God, you're not worried about rolling down an aisle or jumping up and down a lot. What you're worried about is your soul and a connection with him, and it is so special that you lift your hands in praise, that you, your, your energy becomes more in worshiping him and your heart is more into it. It's not the lack of emotion, that's not what I'm saying, but it is an awe-inspiring, respectful emotion that emits out of your body that makes you excited in a different way. Is everybody tracking with me? Then, then this way, and hear Job is so encompassed by God that not only is he excited, but he is repenting of his sin. It's an amazing thing. Here's the next one. When we experience God, we are left with the awesomeness of God. We are left with the awesomeness of God. So my question to you this morning is, have you experienced God lately? to where you left that experience, that prayer time, that reading in your word time, and you were just left with the awesomeness and greatness of a mighty God that loves you. Have you had that experience in your quiet time lately? I hope that you have. Now, let's move to the next one, all right? I want you to look at verse seven. It says this. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Elphaz, the Tinnamite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Um, I want to pause here a moment and say, God gets angry sometimes. We, we, like to, we like to talk about God's love and his grace and his mercy and how he's, he's just compassionate. But God isn't exactly a teddy bear up in heaven either. God is somebody that sometimes gets angry at his people. 
It is not that he's not going to exhibit grace toward them, but he gets angry at his people from time to time. It's not that he's going to take your salvation from you, but at certain times when we do certain things, God does get angry toward us. And here it says, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. And this is why. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. In other words, God is saying, I am very upset because there are some things that you have said about me that just aren't true. There are some things that you have spoken to Job and you've made me look like this and those things just aren't true. Now let's step back a minute. Haven't we had the same human emotion? Yes. Yes, we have. I have... I have had several times where I was talking with someone and that person mentioned something that I had done or something that I had felt that I didn't even realize that I had even done it, much less felt it. Come on. And somewhere down the line, there was, there was a train, like this is what happened, and, and there was a train of thought and people talking, and it got to this moment where people were saying stuff about me that just wasn't true, and it got all the way back here to me, and I was like, wait a minute, I don't even, when, what, Did, have you ever had that moment? Like, I don't even think I was there. Was it somebody that looked like me? There was one time I... Um, I, I, when I was younger, I worked at American Express. It was in Greensboro, right near the airport. They have since shut down that, that thing. And what I would do is I would give approval numbers. It was an awesome job. Approval number would 0045698, you know, it would show up on the screen. And um, the guy next to me and I would play chess while, while we were doing it. So I would move, give an approval number, make another move. And yeah, he never won. I just want to put that out there. And, and kind of a, you know, the guy didn't really know how to play chess. He was playing it like checkers. So I, you can't move that like that, dude. You've got to, no, they go this way. So anyway, he never beat me. But nonetheless, here, here I am, and I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm giving these approval numbers. And, and this group of people came in my direction, like two security guards and a person that was important in American Express. And they came up to me, and the lady said, are you Philip Brand? And, and I turned around and said, yes. I'm, I'm Philip Brand, and um, she looked at me, and she said, this isn't the Philip Brand we're looking for. So I thought she was quoting Star Wars, to be honest with you. Um, at the moment, you know, I was really young, and then, and then they went off. Come to find out, there was another Philip Brand in American Express that had did something wrong, and they were going to have to fire him and escort him out of the building. Well, a couple of things clued, the, clued them into that I wasn't the Philip Brand they were looking for. Number one, I was given approval numbers. I don't know if you know anything about that. That is the lowest of low job at American Express possible. I mean, I don't give, you know, you just do that. So they knew that. And, and I was 16 years old and looked like I was 14. So I didn't even look like I was old enough to do whatever that other Philip Brand had done. Are you with me? But they, but they came and they thought it was me just because of my name. So what am I trying to say here? It is a pain when you are misrepresented by someone else. Is a pain. And on a larger scale, 
God must not like that at all. So for us as believers, we first of all need to be careful what we say about God. We need to make sure that what we say about God is true and right. We cannot say that God loves something that he doesn't love and he hates something that he doesn't hate. We need to be very careful thinking for God. Get in all kinds of trouble for that. And here these three friends have angered God, and God is also angered because they have accused Job of things that he should have never been accused of. So in this passage, God is also taken up for his servant, Job. And he's saying this, not only did you misrepresent me, but you accused Job of things that you should not have accused him of, and you have hurt his feelings. Because he thought you were friends, but you really harmed him more than you did good. So this is what he says. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven um, rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. But wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Why couldn't the three friends just make a sacrifice and say, I'm sorry for what I said and move on with life? Why, why do these three friends have to take these sacrifices and ask Job to pray so that they can be forgiven? Why, why is that? There's a couple reasons for that. First of all, this process forced them to reconcile themselves with Job. It forced them to do that. So they, after accusing him of sinning, had to go back to him and say, we're sorry we falsely accused you. Please pray to God that he would forgive that sin of ours. In other words, God is saying their forgiveness hinges on whether or not Job will forgive them for what they had done. There are passages in the New Testament that gives us that same power. Did you know that? There's passages that say, say what we bind on earth shall also be bound in heaven. There's passages in Scripture that says, talks about forgiveness in that particular way, that if somebody asks for forgiveness, we do have the choice to give them that forgiveness or not. Now, is the right thing to give them forgiveness? Yes. Does Jesus encourage us to give those people forgiveness? Yes. But at the same time, we still have the freedom not to forgive them. So in this passage of Scripture, these three friends have the freedom not to make the sacrifices. They can go their own merry way and live their lives um, without having the forgiveness of God. They can do that. They cannot uh, spend the expense and go to Job and, and save themselves that embarrassment of trying to work out that relationship with Job. They can do that. They can choose not to. Job, when they ask forgiveness, can choose to either um, ask God to forgive them or not ask God to forgive them. It's within their freedom of choice. But God has set this in motion so that not only will Job's three friends be reconciled to him, but also reconciled with Job. And ladies and gentlemen, you do not have forgiveness unless you have forgiveness from God and forgiveness from the person that you have harmed. You don't. 
God is teaching us here, and he's taught us in other passages of Scripture, too, that we're not going to dig in tonight, that today, I'm, I've already preached all the way into the evening, evidently, in my, in my brain. Uh, it, this morning, he's, he's given us passages that say, hey, you can't just say I'm sorry to God and, and kind of get around this well, I'm just not going to talk to them about it because it might be uncomfortable for me to do so. Complete forgiveness is when you are so sorry for what you have done and you're repenting of it in such a way that you want your relationship with God to be repaired and you want your relationship with that other person to be repaired. This is an amazing lesson of forgiveness, because I guarantee you, there are a lot of us that say, well, I'm all right with God, but I just don't want to have that conversation with them. I'm all right with God, but hopefully they'll forget what I've done. If you have never apologized for the harm that you have done someone else, and you've only apologized to God, you do not have complete forgiveness. You don't. Do you realize that God gave his... (laughs) I say this all the time. God gave his life for the church so that we could be in unity. He gave his life for the church and gave us forgiveness so that we can forgive others. He gave us life so that we can be a community and not something that's fractured. He gave us life so that we can have life with him and life with others on a level that's beyond our wildest dreams. Forgiveness of people helps that. Asking for it and not. Um, I don't know what relationships that you have that you need to fix. Or you need to take that step to own what you did wrong and say, I'm sorry for it. Accusations that you may have made against people that you know are not true, but the person that heard them thinks they're true. There's a lot of cleanup that has to happen in order for complete forgiveness for that particular thing is to happen. I'm going to stop here and say this. The Bible teaches the cross of Christ forgives you of all sins, past, present, and future. So if you're to die right now and not finish the steps of forgiveness, you're still going to get to heaven. You're still going to get to heaven but you're going to miss out on a lot here on earth. You're going to miss out on a lot here on earth. It is hard to live a life where you know you've wronged someone and you've never walked up to them and said, I'm really sorry for that. I wish that would have never happened. Will you forgive me? And to hear that person say, yes, I forgive you for that. Please do not walk up to somebody and say, I'm sorry for the way that you made me feel. That is not repenting. For real people, I'm sorry for the way, really? You say, I am sorry for what I have done to you. Will you forgive me? That's when your heart's right. Wow. So what does Job do? So Elphaz, the Tenemite, and Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, 
the Nathanite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer, and their relationships were restored. That is awesome. That is awesome. Okay, so that's the second. Here's the third. Um, let's, I think I'm going to do this a little bit different. I want to read through the last portion of this. No, I don't. I want to start this way. Do it like a plan, okay? Um, a few, a few um, days ago, actually, I came up with this idea for this last, last little part of the sermon, and um, I went online and looked up missing posters because I had found one one time, um, really found one, like it was really on a pole, and it was there, and uh, I didn't get a chance to snap its picture. It was, it was really funny. So I went online just to see if there was some pictures online, you know, to see if there was some missing pictures. So here's some, here's some that I found online, right? Missing. This is Rosie, current owner, hopes to find Rosie after the doll was mistakenly given to charity. Any information would be greatly appreciated. For more information, go to www.rosieismissing.co.uk. That makes your heart hurt, doesn't it? Accidentally given to charity. Poor, poor Rosie. All right, here's the next one. Reward, pet fly lost. <sighs> Big reward, its name is Harry. It's Harry. It flies, partially blind. Last seen at the corner of uh, DeCary and Freer. I don't know. Now, this is similar to the one that I wish I'd had my camera to take a picture to of. This is similar to it. All right, here's the next one. Day three, humans still think I'm lost. Isn't that awesome? That's so awesome. All right, next. Missing two hours. Last seen while waiting for Claritin to start working. If found, please call 1-800-4-Zertec. Have you got that yet? Lost? Yeah, okay. Next. Cat found. Light tan with black and gray, male, no collar, not very friendly. I think she might be scared. Not housebroken either. Found on the set on 75th. If she's yours, call Dan, and it gives his number. <laughs> Obviously, that is a city slicker. Next, missing my imaginary friend Olga. <laughs> Picture taken three years ago. <laughs> Last seen on September 17th. Frequents discount sushi bars and polka, whatever, I don't know what that word is. If you see her, tell her Nikki is sorry about the ice cream and to come home. So missing. So missing. So as we read this passage of scripture, I want you to ask yourself a question. Who is missing? Okay? Who is missing? Check this out. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. 
And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. My first question is, where were these people back in the previous chapters? Where, where was his family at? Maybe they were there and we just don't know it, but where were they at? But now that they're here, that he's being blessed again, they actually give him a piece of money. Now, the question that hardly anybody ever asked at this point in the story is, why did God choose to be so good to Job? And maybe you haven't asked that question. You said, well, of course he would be good to him because he was so bad to him. This is God making up for him. The problem with that is it doesn't say that in the text. So here God is being good to someone, and nobody's asked the question, why is he being good to, to Job? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever stopped during the good times and asked, why is God being so good to me? Is it as intense as when he's being bad to you? Could it be that Job is right, that we are really good at accepting the good from God, but not the bad? That maybe we should be thankful for both? That God really doesn't owe us anything at all? And maybe the only reason that God decided to give him twice as much is just because he wanted to do it? Are you okay with God just blessing people just because he wanted to do it? Are you okay with that? That there's no reason, there's no faithfulness involved. He just decided to do it. He just decided to bless them. I would submit to you today and probably argue pretty well that God is good to you, not because of your merit, but just because he wants to be good to you. You are here today breathing with good health, good family, church that loves you, God that loves you, all blessings. And there's no reason that God should have done that for you. There's no reason why things should be going well for you. Well, you should have a new house, new car, new people, you know, new good, great feelings. There's no reason. Healing from, from something that maybe a surgery you had or a broken arm or foot or whatever that you had. There's no reason for God to be good to you. God is just good to us because he wants to be good to us. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm really thankful for that. And in the good times, we really should ask the question, Lord, I, I, why are you doing this? But I'm really thankful. And maybe the only reason he's doing it is because he just wants to bless you and give you comfort. Bible clearly teaches that I have no merit at all to deserve any good thing that God does for me. And the Bible doesn't just say that about me. The God that created you just wants to give you things at times. And he blesses you at his own will and with his own decision making. It has nothing to do with your faithfulness to him. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. So verse 12, we're still trying to figure out who's missing. Right? And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen. They had a lot of eggs, I guess. 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter 
Jemiah, and the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, it's not Kaepernick, but it's Karen Hapuk. Okay? And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. So you stop here a moment and you think, that's really odd. Like if you read scripture, you know that it is. This guy had these children that are male, and this guy, these people had these children that are male, and it's, it's a male lineage. You also know that land and possessions pass on to the guys and not necessarily the women. I mean, in Scripture, you see this happening, right? Here in this passage, we have Job not only giving the brothers who aren't named. He gives it to the ladies who are named, And he elevates the ladies to say that they were the most beautiful ladies in the land. I'm happily married, so when I say this, I don't want you to think anything. I would have just loved to have seen these three women. Come on, just, just to see them. And then I would have loved just to have known them. They must have had good, good, a good spirit about them. They must have been good, godly women. Which, by the way, if you have, ladies, if you have looks and you're godly, the right men will fear you and the right men will love you. Come on. The right men will fear you and the right men will love you. So here's a group of women that, that are being exalted here, and it's, it's just an absolutely amazing thing. I, I don't have anything else to say other than that. There's no other part of Scripture that tells you why this happened. It's just the way that he has decided to end the story, and so he exalts his daughters. The only thought I had is maybe the brothers were butt ugly. Hairy, fat, big bellies flopping over, you know, their robe, I guess their robe would have to tuck it up at her teeth for that to, you know, kind of, I don't know. And they were just ugly. Half their teeth gone. Migrated to West Virginia. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they were just ugly. Okay, verse 16. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. So after all of this, he sees four generations of his family. That's, that's amazing. And Job died, an old man, full of days. Full of days. Who's missing? Well, okay, so, yes. And I knew that was going to happen. That's not exactly the one I'm looking for. But his wife, I feel like she's there because of the birds and the bees. And you have to have her to have these. That's how it works right? So I'm assuming she's there, but you're right. She's missing. She's missing. She's not mentioned in the text, but I assume that she's there. Who's missing? Do what? Oh, the fourth guy didn't. I expected that one to happen too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have an explanation for that, but that is not the one I'm looking for. The devil. How did this book begin? 
Satan strolls up on up in heaven. I've been going to and fro on earth, and God says, "Well, have you considered my servant Job?" And he says, "Well, the reason that he likes you is because you blessed him with all this stuff." Because we all know that the devil is like a cowboy, right? Black guns, you know, ready to go. Yeah. And God says, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and take everything that he has. And he says, all right, I'll go down there and do that. So he goes down there and he, he takes everything that he has and he comes back up in heaven and says, yeah, I took everything. He hasn't cursed me yet, God says. And Satan says, well, you haven't touched his health. And God says, go on, go on down there and touch his health. I'll take that on, but he's going to remain faithful to me. So Satan, he goes on down there and he takes his health and as time goes on, you don't hear any more about Satan because Satan gets in a place where he can't accuse Job of acting incorrectly or unfaithfully. So he can't walk back up in heaven and say, you lost, God, and I won. He can't gloat in front of God saying, I got him and you didn't. Job lived his life in such a way that God won the bet and Satan lost. I submit to you today that you and I need to live in such a way of faithfulness that Satan is silent at the end of our story and God is getting the glory. Come on. That Satan can't say anything or accuse us of anything, but God says that person was faithful, I told you it would be so, and they proved it to you. I think that should be motivation for any time we go through a trial to handle that trial the right way. I think that should be motivation that any time we're tempted to kind of resist that temptation and go the other direction and let God win and not Satan. I'm not saying that God hasn't always already won, but I'm saying when they're having those conversations, God needs to be able to say, Ben, he made it through and the devil is silent. You know who's missing in heaven? Satan. You know who's missing on the streets of gold when we get to heaven? Satan. So here's the encouraging part. If you can't silence Satan at the end of your story, Jesus already has taken care of that for you. At the end of your story, he's already silent because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection on the third day. Satan cannot say anything about a believer in the end times to accuse them of anything at that judgment. They are covered by the blood of Christ. If you've received Jesus as your savior, at the end of your story, Satan is already silent. But let's just go ahead and live like it, right? And so Satan can do all the accusing he wants to do and try to lead us down paths that he wants us to lead, lead us down. But at the end of the day, we're just not going to follow him because our heart and soul and mind are focused on Jesus, our Savior, and following him. Let Satan be missing at the end of your story. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.